0: I think the danger of A.I. is much greater than the the danger of nuclear warheads, by a lot. Mark my words, A.I. is far more dangerous than nukes. I try to convince people to slow down, slow down A.I., to regulate A.I. This was futile. I tried for years. The biggest issue I see with so-called AI experts is that they they think they know more than they do, um, and they think they're smarter than they actually are. This is this tends to plague plague smart people. They define themselves by their intelligence, and they they don't like the idea that a machine could be way smarter than them. So they discount the idea, which is fundamentally flawed. That's the wishful thinking uh, situation. I'm really quite close to. But very close to to the cutting edge in AI. More than 1,300 tech industry leaders, researchers, and others are now asking for a pause in the development of artificial intelligence to consider the risks. Twitter and Tesla CEO Elon Musk and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak are among those who signed a letter calling for a six-month break in the race to develop more powerful AI. Musk and others say advanced AI, which allows computers to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, could pose, quote, profound risk to society and humanity. Some breaking developments in the generative AI race. The Financial Times reports Elon Musk is officially getting in the game by starting his own artificial intelligence company. And it has a name. Musk is calling the company XAI. It'll be incorporated in Nevada, and it appears to be the latest step in Musk's efforts to create an everything app branded as X. (laughs) mm <laughs> Welcome back, David Penn here, the Professor Penn Podcast, and uh, well, what we're about is stopping them. I love Bob Marley, and I I've played that cold open where we we see what the real issue is. We're checking out the real situation. We're trying not to get caught in the diversions, the scams, the cover-ups, the things that take us away from seeing what really faces us, what really confronts us as the American people as free people. And we're going to stop them. I don't know how it's going to happen. It may take a miracle. But if we keep at it, and we keep working together, and we form a community, we can influence and stop forces that are dedicated to our destruction and replace them with forces that are dedicated to our well-being. And that's what we're working on every day. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, please join me. Click the subscribe button send this out if you're willing and you like the content all your friends help us build the community. I want to thank free People Radio for hosting this podcast free People of America we're a growing movement. we're a growing movement of people that want to preserve our human dignity and enhance our human well-being and I know you're Among the people that want well being, because that's something all, not all, that's a cognitive distortion. Most people want well being. And that's our rallying point here in the United States of America, regardless of party, regardless of race, color, creed. We're all interested in well being. I want to thank Target.com, our sponsor. We are the patriot economy, every day you vote with your money, find a small business, support it, because the globalist companies that dominate our trade are not viewing us as human beings. We're inventory to them, inventory. We're digital data for them to mine and exploit. But when you find a small business, a family business, you'll be doing business with people that will care about you. And you'll be supporting the movement. We all have to buy tires. The next time you need tires, go to tireget.com. All your tire needs. Precinctstrategy.com. That's precinctstrategy.com for a tutorial on how to get involved in the game of politics. And my constant theme hey, you know, when the doctors at the asylum are insane, the inmates better take over. We're the inmates, we the people. Have to get involved in our own self governance and take our stand, take up our stance again as free people. So, today we're going to try to get into the real situation. I'm still in the back of my mind, always thinking about racism and manifest destiny and imperialism, the problems that really underlie everything we're dealing with, because it's my theory that the 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 crown which stands for the colonizers of europe really uh came up with a an industrial uh revolution which allowed the subjugation of many peoples in the world the, the the colonized by the colonizer and we went through that process of decolonization which was triggered by the atlantic charter where our our righteous government at that time president roosevelt enforced upon the British Empire its decolonization as a price for American support in World War II. And, you know, these people didn't go away. We thought that they had gone away. They didn't go away. They just went off into their own lair and plotted their return, plotted their return through a digital technocracy, a control grid, which they are now imposing on the people which is the most important political issue of the day, and we're confronted with so many political challenges, the war in the Ukraine, a $32 trillion debt, violence in the street, horrifying polarization, inflation. There are so many political issues that are taking up our bandwidth, and perhaps that's not a conspiracy, but it's definitely not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that we, the people, are confronted with so much challenge that many of us are just going to give up. Just give up. That's the theme that we're fighting. I say please, please don't give up. Please get involved. Get involved with your political party. If it's Democrat, if it's Republican, if it's alternative, practice self-governance. That's our path out of this mess is self-governance. So as we check out the real situation, the imposition of technocracy that will imprison all the people of the world, we have to start out with the diversionary news, which is profound and in and of itself terrifying because we're on the verge of nuclear war in the Ukraine. And that battle just rages on. Tanner, can you put up that picture of uh, Ukraine with Bakhmut as we're talking here you know, there's a, a city there, and we've talked about it before, Bakhmut. Bakhmut looks like a kind of a nothing burger there, but actually the Russians are trying to consolidate that, that Bakhmut region. And as you can see from the map, they have taken control of the Russian-speaking regions of Ukraine. The facts on the ground dictate a Russian victory if they can consolidate that region. And as of this morning, the Russians are, you know, they're, they're claiming control of 75% of Bakhmut. Uh, this is probably the bloodiest battle uh, that the world has seen since Stalingrad. The resources that are pouring in here, uh, the, the killing is, um, it's just horrifying. It's horrifying. And uh, the Russians are, you know, that's right on the Russian border. They're not going to give up. As we've said, they're not going to suffer a strategic defeat on their border. And our government, the government of the United States, continues to pour arms and money into the Ukraine in an effort to strategically defeat the Russians. And when the Russians say they will not tolerate a defeat, what they're saying is they will use nuclear weapons to defend their border. So if we win, we lose a very serious situation, and of course, it's so serious, we must, we must give this problem our attention. We must give it our attention, and it, it is something that every American citizen needs to be discussing in, in your workplace, in your home, in the car with friends, on the phone. We as the American people have got to come to the awareness that our government is leading us into a nuclear war. And that we, the people, can stand up and say, no, nuclear war is probably not good for my well-being. I don't want it. And pressure our elected officials to move back from the brink, move back from the brink of war, and solve this problem. Because the facts on the ground are right on that map. The Russians have taken the Crimea. They've taken the eastern Ukraine. And the question I want to ask myself is, am I willing to die for the Ukraine? And I'm going to share with you my personal answer, no, I am not. I am not buying into that my future freedom depends on what happens in the Ukraine. That's what's being sold in the media. And, and, and I'm going to tell you that in my political life, I'm going to start demanding of all the political organizations and groups I'm involved with to take a stand on this Ukraine issue. Because, of course, you know, we're told, we're told by our leaders, If you're involved in a political party, you're told by your leadership, just go out and knock on doors, make phone calls, go to parties, but don't do politics. Leave that for the candidates and the big kids. And that's just yet another scam meant to disconnect the American people from the political process of self-governance. We will demand that our parties take positions on this. We will call out our leaders. We will call out each other not to make hatred or not to make division, but I want to know where we stand as a people on this issue. And the way we find it out is we start asking, where do we stand on this issue? We have to do it at the very, very fundamental level of our families and our friends to talk about this issue. And, you know, this issue is, um, it's a deep issue. Uh, there was recently, as you know, a, an intelligence leak. And the leaked intelligence, you know, became very focused on this young man who is alleged, alleged to be the leaker. And you have to ask yourself, how does a 21-year-old Reserve uh, Air Force airman get access to the kind of classified information that he alleged to have let loose into the world? Well, perhaps somebody gave him a key. Who knows? Who knows? We're in that digital world. It's hard to know who's zooming whom in there. But what came out, which may be true and it may be not true, again, we don't know because we're in that spooky world. But what seems to have come out is that the Ukrainians are not doing as good as we're being told they are in the mainstream media. There seems to be some shortage of munitions and of weapon systems. And, oh, well, there's a weapons gap. So what happens immediately, immediately, is the salespeople of the military-industrial complex, if they're on MSNBC or Fox News, CBS, NBC, ABC, they stream out into the mainstream. And they're all saying the same thing. We have a problem. The Ukraine issue has peeled back the band-aid and allow us to see the deficiencies of our military-industrial complex supply chain. And they're saying, and you're going to hear this more and more, that at the height of the Cold War, at the height of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, U.S. military spending was about 6% of our GDP. And today, oh my God, it's only 3%. Only 3%. So to get A a investment in our safety and security to deter the Chinese from war, we have to go back to that 6% level, which would be a doubling of our defense spending from some $800 billion a year to $1.6 trillion a year. Get ready for it. This is coming. This is tomorrow's news today. These people believe in never let a crisis go to waste, the crisis is we do have an arms and munici- munitions shortage. And very simply, they're going to ask we, the people, to borrow more money and go further into debt to spend more on defense, which, of course, is going to benefit a very small percentage of people in this country. Those people at the top of that pyramid on your dollar bill and the rest of us well, we're going to be poor because we have to give everything we have to protect ourselves from the Chinese. You'll notice that the dialogue now is drifting away from the Russians and starting to talk more and more about the threat China poses. Well, actually, our leaders have us into a potential world war conflict in three theaters, Europe, South China Sea, and the Middle East. All these areas are bubbling up now, and we're unprepared. I have heard people talking about we need to go to a war footing to deter war. You know, come on. Come on. Am I supposed to be stupid? You get ready to fight when it's time to fight. So these people are just, again, scamming us, lying to us, and mostly they just think I'm stupid. They just talk to me like I'm stupid. And it doesn't matter if it's on television or if it's in my state and my political party. They just talk to me like I'm stupid. Hey, we don't do that. We don't do that. That's not our mission. Well, I hear that a lot. I hear my leaders a lot saying, don't talk about politics. Oh, I got a new one that I heard. The message doesn't matter. Only the ballots. This is a new one that's banging around in the world. You know, we had this huge conflict on the right between the Trump supporters and the traditional Republicans, and it tore the party apart. Okay, it just did. And this has been going on since 2016, where we've had this huge battle between this really, it really should not be identified as Trump. It's a group that puts the nationalism, the sovereignty of the American experiment first, and the other group puts globalism and the global ambition of Americans first. These two groups are really in opposition. They're a yin and a yang. Neither one is right. Neither one is wrong. They could learn from each other. But of course, hey, if they learn from each other, we might come up with a better idea and actually pa- practice politics the way we were, you know, given a system to, to learn one from another. But, oh, that's just much too passe. There's so much more money in conflict. We can raise so much more money hating each other because remember, how does money come? It comes in chaos. Life is defined by a birth and a death, and in between, it's a set of diagnostic codes and revenue streams. So if we can get people to hate each other, that's a diagnostic code. We can raise money off of it. If people are well, when people are well, when they have well-being, they don't need legal services. They don't need medical services. They're well. It's well with you. That's why the politics of well-being will move us down the road here instead of keeping us stuck in this hole we find ourselves. And that's why free people are focusing on well-being. What policies contribute to well-being? So we have this tension between these nationalists and globalists in the, in the Republican Party. It was a lot of name-calling. Okay, a lot of name-calling. And it's going on right now because we have President Trump as a candidate, and he's, you know, he's seeking the endorsement again. He's under indictment. And people are going bananas about Trump. Hey, you know what? Let's start talking about ideas. Let's diminish the people. They're salesmen, after all. It's the ideas that they're selling. So I think there's a coincidence here. And force is undefined. I don't know why. And I'm not going to comment on, on, on what it could be or what I think it might be. They've moved this argument between globalists and nationalists into a new dimension, which are the people that are really concerned about the election mechanism and the people that are really concerned about the election mechanism in a little bit different way. It's the same people, a little bit different. The nationalist group, they're saying that the elections are flawed that there's problems with the election machinery, that there's fraud. The other group is saying there's no fraud, that election rules have changed, and the parties need to be taking advantage of those new rules, and, well, it's kind of an election strategy or tactic. Both groups are, have one thing in common. The message doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying that election machinery doesn't deserve scrutiny by our elected leaders. And I don't want to comment on, you know, this polarity in its uh, complexity. I want to comment on its judgment that it's implanting into the minds of the American people who already think that their vote doesn't matter. Because governance has gone so far away from them, and they've given up their self-governance, mind you. I'm not blaming our leaders for that. When when I give up my self-governance, that's on me. It's not on them, okay? It's a lot of work to self-govern. And self-governance is an infinite process of self-discovery. It's a process of self-development. So, hey, you know what? It's a lot of work to self-develop. It's a lot easier to sit around and get high and watch television, play video games, because you know, basically we've we've chained we've traded our our self-governance away for materialism and and safety. That's on us as individuals. But for those of us that want to reclaim our self-governance, it's a lot of work. It is. It's work. But it's glorious work, because it makes me well. This is what we want to get to. We want to get away from arguing with each other. And we want to recognize that politics well-practiced is the path of self-development and well-being. And when we understand that and we speak to each other with respect and love, we're going to be in a much better place as individuals. But the message that these groups, these election groups, are putting out, the nationalist group and the globalist group, they've know they just moved the argument downstream and obscured it, they both have one thing in common. It doesn't matter what the message is, and it doesn't matter what you do unless you get involved in these election strategies and tactics. And I have to say, judge not lest you be judged. This is not a good judgment that the message... I actually had a Republican Party officer in Minnesota publicly state that the message doesn't matter in a group setting, a formal group setting. Well, I have to reject this. The message does matter. The message is the only thing that matters. And if we got our messaging right as the American people, as free people, it's my contention. Be you Democrat or Republican, if the message was righteous, righteous, Right, just if the message was true, we the people would resonate with it, and our acceptance of a new message and of a new way would overcome these strategies and tactics related to elections. We need to find a new rally point that reflects the politics of tomorrow today. What our leaders are doing. We're being stuck up, trapped, in a politics that has existed since 1973. We're playing yesterday's game today, and there's a small group of people that are crafting tomorrow's politics, and we're not even sick. We as the people don't even know this is going on. We're not coming up with the facts. And that's why we started out with this cold open about artificial intelligence. So we're going to delve into that today, But we wanted to start with a little Ukraine news. This Ukraine thing's ready to get settled. We have to demand settlement. and we have to also be on guard that our military-industrial complex is going to use the Ukraine to ask for a doubling of military expenditures at a time when we're $32 trillion in debt, $32 trillion in debt. Let me say it one more time, $32 trillion. And they want to up the ante. I want all of us to make our own investigation about what it's going to mean to our net worth. You know, and I've said this, if people are living at survival level, and that's most of the country, If there's unabated inflation for a decade, your life will not change because they've already taken everything you have or they pre- the system prevented you from getting what you wanted. But if you're living out in the suburbs and you have a net worth, they're taking everything we have. They want to take everything I have. These are Darwinists. They don't care about me. They care about themselves because they're given over to a concept of survival of the fittest. So if they succeed and I die, that just proves they were right in their own mind. And we elect these people. We elect Darwinists to our highest positions. They lie to us. They deceive us. They manipulate us. Because to them, I'm just inventory. And the digitization of all my data creates me, not as a human being, but as a bunch of, uh, you know, mathematical entries, a data set. I have no free will. I have no spirit. I'm just a series of uh, wants and desires that can be manipulated. And that's what they have in mind for me and I have something in mind for them. It's called self-governance. Send this, please send out this podcast to your friends. And if you're in Minnesota, a double request, because all politics is local, of course I'm focused on the national scene and the international scene, but my activity is here in Minnesota, and I want that to be a model for every state in the union about how we can create a new politics that is going to develop a constituency that is so large and so coherent of self-governance and of well-being aimed at well-being that we're just going to transform this whole landscape and we've got people coming forward like this now as you probably know Bobby Kennedy Jr has declared his candidacy for president as a democrat as a democrat does that mean republicans need to ignore him and just write him off? Well, the polarization is so great, most of them will. But he's bringing forward a message of well-being, of protecting the health and well-being of the American people. And this is something that we haven't been talking about for a very long time. So I urge all of us to listen to Bobby Kennedy's rhetoric and see where he's coming from. He may be a uniting figure. And it's not about him as a person. Of course, he bears the Kennedy name, which is a leg up. But he's a sufferer, and that's made him think deeply about life and his life and how it relates to our community. His ideas, not him as a politician, not him as a Kennedy, but his ideas. Let us take ourselves seriously as people read a book. Read. What's driving our country is not personalities. It is not the personality of a President Trump or Ron DeSantis or a Bobby Kennedy or Barack Obama or a a Joseph R. Biden. These are people that carry ideas. Let us get into their ideas and not look at who they are but look at what they do. Let's get through the fog and let's start to see a little bit more clearly. I'm not saying I can see the truth, but I'm, I'm searching and striving with you to get a better view of the truth so that I'm informed, so that I can, can make my life well and strong and spread that to all the people that are around me. And I want to thank you for sharing this time with me. I appreciate it. You can get in touch with me. I'm here to build a community with you. So we have this thing going on in Ukraine. We know they're going to use it as a crisis to ask for more military spending, more budgetary expenditure on the means to kill. And what are they really wanting to spend it on? Where is this money going? Well, this gets into this whole conversation that I want to spend the rest of today's podcast delving into with you, because, you know, this, this taxes, where we, how we're taxed and how this money is spent is so critical to how this country moves forward. Will we have a well-being culture for the American people, or will we be inventory to be exploited and truncated? And when I say truncated, I mean eliminated. And why do I know that's happening? I keep saying it. Our life expectancies are falling. Our birth rates are dropping. So if our life expectancies are falling and our birth rates are falling, there's less human beings. Now, there's going to be many people watching this that are going to say, we need to reduce the population. And this has been a common theme since the 1960s when Paul Ehrlich published his famous book, The Population Bomb. And we really do have a lot of countries now that are in population decline. Uh, You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm okay with my leaders reducing the population. That would be called eugenics. If I, as a free person of self-governance, self-governing person, decide that I don't want to have children and I do it with full awareness of the choices that confront me or I want to limit the number of children that I have and I make that choice freely by myself, that's free will. But if I'm manipulated with lies and falsehoods, If I'm terrified by my leadership that the end of the world is near, repent, the end of the, you know, these people that stood in street corners dressed on robes wearing crosses, repent, the end of the world is near. That person is the same person as Greta Thunberg. She's saying the end of the world is near. They're the same person. We just don't recognize them as the same person, but a little different, a little different. And again, that's what we're going to talk about today that is precisely the heart of the matter these people are the same people these people are the same people why do we not know it well we're told we're told and taught that we have a secular government and i'm going to read the definition of secularism exactly as it appears online, which you can Google, or Bing, however you want to get to it. Secularism is a noun. It's the principle of separation of state from religious institutions. Again, secularism is the principle of separation of the state from religious institutions. And we even call our society, or use the term secular humanism, secular humanism. And my presentation to you today, my plea to you today, is for us all to recognize that secular humanism is in fact a religion. A religion. Humanism, and I read this on the last podcast, but I think it bears a repeat because this is a very important concept that we must grasp because people are not being straight with us as the American people. And if they're not going to be straight, we got to figure it out for ourselves and hold them accountable. So, humanism. An outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance, that means number one, prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanist beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasize common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. Sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? They make it sound very reasonable but it's a scam. Julian Huxley, who we've spoken about before, you know, his brother wrote the book Brave New World, which everyone should go reread. It was required reading at one time when we went through high school. Brave New World, please go read it, or at least, at least, I think there's some movies called Brave New World. Watch the movie. You'll get the idea. It's about a technocracy. The technocracy into which we find ourselves tumbling into today. This thing didn't happen by accident. This was not an accident, this technocracy. And when I say technocracy, if you go back several hundred years, every person knew how to use every implement and technique necessary for their survival. The tools that they needed. They carried on their belt. Every person in self-governance really was responsible for growing their own food. They were responsible for protecting themselves. Hey, there was no 911. When the Plains Indians showed up and they were looking for scalps, maybe the cavalry came, but usually they came just like today. When the police show up, it's after the fact to clean up the mess and contain the damage. You know, you were on, the own, on your own. If you were out on the plains, you had to protect yourself. Everyone wore a gun. and Everyone was proficient with firearms. That's the background of our culture. And now, now, today, human beings do not know how to care for themselves unless they really are farmers. And, of course, there are very few farmers left, which brings up a great Bible verse, In the end, the meek will inherit the earth. That was always a question. What that meant? It's clear now, right? If you can farm, and you can self-sustain and self-govern, you got a shot to survive no matter what comes at us. And I want to share with you. I spent the weekend carrying fifty-pound bags of dirt into my, you know, vegetable gardens. And I'm not portraying myself as a farmer, but I think it's important that I plant seed, that I familiarize myself and, and, and devote myself to growing my own food. Why do I say that? Well, I'm a big believer in plan B. I always like to plan for the worst. That's because I'm a business person. Business people, remember I said this, I would be a professor, but they don't let people like me teach in the universities. Okay, so rather than swim upstream and have a lot of fighting, I just branched off and and, you know, I've I've self-governed my entire life. And part of my self-governance is I think I need to grow my own food. So I bought a little bit of land. And I think we all need to think about this as American people. You know, food doesn't come from the grocery store. And we need to think about the quality of the food that we're eating. Do we really want to trust? store-bought food as if it's going to be good for us, industrialized food, that's a whole other conversation. But I think all of us have a sensitivity to that the quality of the food we eat can be improved, and if we grow it ourselves, it's at the highest level. If we grow our own food and then prepare it for ourselves to eat it when it's fresh, that's a very high level of nutrition that's going to contribute to my well-being. I have to take responsibility for that. I am taking responsibility for that. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy that I'm aware of to kill me with food. I am saying it doesn't matter what people are thinking or doing if I'm taking care of myself and my family. So we're doing that in our home and I think it's a cool thing. Takes some time, but heck, Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon being outside in the sun. In the air, gardening, what could be more healthy for me and going on to my going back to my comments about generating well-being, you know being out in the dirt and being in the electromagnetic field of the earth and breathing and moving and carrying heavy things and investing oneself in the life process. this is the essence of well-being, the essence. So I'm going to do it for my well-being, and uh, we'll see how it turns out. I have been doing it, and it's been very salutatious over the years, and I hope hope all of us do it. It'll make us free. I want to be free, and I want to self-govern. I don't want to be caught up in this secular humanism. See, when you're growing stuff, you see that there's a process in a natural way. And I guess you could view it as pure, from a purely scientific street corner if you wanted to. I tend to view it a little bit more miraculously. I'm a simple person in some respects. I know there are people that are going to say that uh, the theory of evolution explains all. But I, I like to think of taking uh, millions of letters and cutting them in like, just cutting a bunch of letters into, you know, one letter on every little piece of paper putting them in a box, throwing them up in the air, and what comes down, oh, Hamlet. Really? You think it's that simple, huh? Shit happens like that? I don't think so. But that's that's me. I'm entitled to my street corner. I don't think you can throw a bunch of random letters up in the air and come down with Hamlet. I just don't think it happens like that. But that's my street corner. Do I think I have to hate the people on the other street corner? I do not. I think both groups really are arguing about not faith versus faithlessness or science versus religion, but from a very well-intentioned place for some of them, not all of them, we're arguing about human redemption. How do we redeem humans from human suffering? And I think that's a beautiful thing to think about. And I'm open to listening to anybody who wants to talk about how we're going to lessen human suffering. And if someone can explain to me how some of the things that we do as a society lessen human suffering, like, for example, being $32 trillion in debt. How does that lessen suffering? I, don't, I mean, I know there's an argument to be made, but let's go through it together as the American people. Let's understand it. Let's understand how oh, we're going to get all the American people left it up out of their suffering the best we can by talking one amongst another. But back to this human secularism or secular humanism, which is really sold to me as it's anti religious, it's not a religion. That our government is secular, it is not religious. Well, Julian Huxley. The brother of the writer of Brave New World. Again, go watch it, because you'll, you'll know where these people were. You know what? You're going to know what was in. We don't have to wonder what was in their head. They wrote it down. They told us. Julian Huxley, very, very important person in the development of technocracy. He was the grandson of a contemporary of Darwin. His grandfather was Thomas Huxley, a very important Darwinist. Remember, these people are all British. Is that a coincidence? No, it's not. Remember, we got Darwin and Spencer and Galton, the, the, the pillars of the British academic tradition, all coming up with a, a theory, which, by the way, justifies colonialism. It's just, it's just accidental that it happened that way because it says, if hey, if I'm stronger than you and I can make you my slave, hey, good for me and too bad for you. You're not really a human being. I'm the human because I'm powerful enough to enslave you. Oh, that's a great, that's some really great research right there. Great output. And it just kept going. You know, Galton came up with the eugenics. You could have positive eugenics. You could breed to make a stronger person, which, of course, the Nazis picked up on. You know, the, the, the Superman, the overman, the Aryan race, the greatest race. Of course, they were fighting back against the British. Maybe they thought the British were Aryans too. I need to go look at that. I don't want to mislead you. I think they they were they were in on it, both of them. And we had the same group over here. You know, we had the the uh, Margaret Sanger group. They went to the the negative eugenics, which was uh, you know abortion. Let's limit the population of black people. Go look it up. I'm not making it up. You can find it right on Wikipedia. I mean, this is not conspiracy stuff. Just go look it up. I mean, I can't do all the work. If we're all going to self-govern, it requires a little personal research. And then the Nazis picked it up, and we had the Holocaust. Well, who were these people? These people are Darwinists, and they believed in eugenics. They believed that the solution to human suffering was not found in the Judeo-Christian bedrock of our society in the 6,000-year tradition It was going to be found in a 500-year tradition of science, and they believed in it. They believed in it so fervently. Well, let me just read what Julian Huxley said yet again. I want to read it again. Julian Huxley, a religion is essentially an attitude to the world as a whole. Thus, evolution, for example, may prove as powerful a principle to coordinate men's beliefs and hopes as God was in the past. Such ideas underlie the various forms of rationalism, the ethical movement, and scientific humanism. The key point. Thus evolution, for example, you know, that was kind of a nice trick he used there. No, he's only talking about evolution. Thus evolution may prove as powerful a principle to coordinate men's beliefs and hopes as God was in the past. I mean, he lays it right out there. There's nothing hiding. I don't have to fortune tell or make it up. He's telling me what he thinks. Evolution is an organizing principle to replace God. This is an alternative theory of, of redemption, how to deal with the problem of human suffering. He goes further. Humanism is an outlook that places man and his concerns at the center of interest. Man and his concerns at the center of interest. Modern humanism, which does away with traditional Christianity, this is Huxley talking, modern humanism, which does away with traditional Christianity, is characterized by its faith in the power of human beings to create their own future, Collectively and personally. Okay. Now, this is what humanism is, and this is what secular humanism is. So we are being sold a lie, because clearly, clearly, in every institution of higher learning in this country, Darwinism is the bedrock of the biological theory. And of the social theory in many places, although they they try to hide it, because it you know kind of sounds a little racist, but um, no, not a little racist. It's very racist. But what they're saying here is, is that a superior form of dealing with the problem of human suffering is humanism. That humans, in our grandeur, in our great intelligence. We are going to come up with technological solutions to human suffering that are far better than religious ones or Judeo-Christian ones. And we heard in the cold open with uh, Elon Musk, Uh, you know, he was talking about how fast, uh, you know, he's been warning people and, you know, this AI is super powerful. And he's trying to stop it. Oh, wait, no, not really. He just opened a UJI company, and we hear Bob Marley singing, "Total Destruction is the only solution and i'm I'm a I love the song, and I realize this is a possibility, but I am going to work the rest of my life with every breath I have to stop these people, and the first way to stop them is for every American citizen to know that our government is a religious institution, and it's a religious institution dedicated to the overthrow of Judeo-Christianity. Every university in this country teaches a religion called science. Every university in this country is teaching a religion called humanism. Humanism. Its founder, Julian Huxley, calls it a religion. They're just hiding. It's kind of like the rebranding of communism in the liberalism or the progressive movement, you know, the people that want to overthrow stuff, they keep squirreling around looking for a way to sell their ideas. And the way these Darwinists have worked their way, and remember Operation Paperclip? This is not even an American idea. This is a European idea. Darwinism comes from England. We have this European idea of science and scientism and secular humanism completely permeating our government and all of our institutions of learning. So we're all humanists. We all, really, you could say we're all narcissists. We all look to ourselves and our own intellect to solve our problems of human suffering. And what the Judeo-Christian experience is saying, let go and let God. Have faith. These two issues, these two ideas are really the issues that we need to be really careful about. And what we're going to talk about in the time remaining is how fast this technological revolution is now exploding with uh, artificial intelligence and how it's really been progressively, to use a phrase, which this goes back to the beginning of the progressive era, it's been crowding out the spiritual dimension and i do not believe human beings can be well without a spiritual dimension and hey would it be a coincidence that if we don't have a spiritual dimension we're not well and therefore we're going to die quicker eh, i'm getting out there a little bit far i'm just throwing out there for consideration that uh, the mind cannot live without the body cannot live without the mind and the spirit and we seem to be moving into a world where spiritual, spiritualism, religion, faith is really on the down on the downgrade. And we see that from poll numbers. We just see that how people react to everything. We're all looking for a scientific answer to our problems. Science will save us. And of course, we have the judgment that every scientific um experiment that generates a new scientific breakthrough, or a technique that I can use in my own life, is going to contribute to my well-being. And I'm going to say something that I've said before, but I think it took me many years to understand this, so I want to say it over and over because it really bears some consideration. It's an accounting idea, but it's really a philosophical idea. Every benefit has a cost. Every benefit has a cost. So what costs are we paying with all this scientific development? Now let's remember that our universities, our universities, our universities get $400 billion a year of direct grant from our government. That's we the people, our taxation money. Our taxation is funding a religion. And we're supposed to have separation of of church and state. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This is the bedrock of the protection of our rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. But they're making those laws every day because they're funding an institution and an institutional process which just every year further entrenches secular humanism, the founder of which Julian Huxley said, or the codifier of which said, is a religion. We're living in a religious world of science. Which is hidden is secular? I mean, let's just get it out in the open. Let's look at it, and let's understand. People believe in science instead of believing in God. Well, there's nothing new in me saying it. Nothing at all new in me saying it. this conversation goes back a long way. Now, it really has not had the impact in our lives until... It it really was. It was a. It was a theoretical conversation until that first nuclear bomb went off. When that first nuclear bomb went off, science had the power. The the people that hailed the techniques of science had the power to destroy humanity. In other words, life and death was no longer in the hand of God; it was in the hand of man. That's humanism, and of course, Huxley put all these flowers around it, like we were all about our own well-being and our own good, and obviously. When we're on the verge of war in three theaters, on the verge of nuclear war with a $32 trillion debt, and we're living in a business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy, hey, hey, it really wasn't about well-being. We've been sold a bill of goods, a false story, and we've bought it. Because why? It delivered us some material benefit and some security. But where are we heading with this? Where are we heading? as we fund this technocracy more and more now we'll talk a lot about digital currency that's coming. it's already on it's already in the street many countries are already pushing a digital currency and we can talk about that in terms of you know how our how our 32 trillion dollar debt may lead to a collapse of our economy and then they're going to come and they're going to say oh well don't worry we got digital currency that's another podcast Today I want to stick on this this, uh, humanism as a religion and what it's bringing forth for us. Because the humanists have decided, and they decided this in the 1880s, they're going to evolve humanity. That their response to human suffering, this is also a cover story in my opinion, and I'm entitled to an opinion. I'm not saying it's the truth. I'm like you. I speculate. I, you know, I, I make stories up. Kind of the story I'm making up here is I don't think the people that came up with this humanism and codified it were ever really concerned about humanity. I think from the very start, these people wanted to create and evolve humans into a completely different species that they, like the Catholics, believe that humans are fundamentally flawed or originally sinned. And that in the religious track, there's a divine process of redemption, which they totally reject because they don't believe in God. They're anti-Christ. They believe that science is going to redeem man and that humanity needs to be evolved, that Homo sapiens is fundamentally flawed. And this idea has been banging around for over 100 years, maybe 150 years. But now it's upon us. This is the politics of right now. And when you go to your political meetings, is anybody talking about this issue? Of course not. We're going to argue about abortion and right to you know right to life. We're going to argue about ranked choice voting. We're going to argue about uh, you know equity and uh, critical race theory. There are so many polarizing and divisive arguments that people are tearing each other apart over. And guess what? The big conversation of the day, what are we gonna do with this technology? Hey, we just all accept it's coming no matter what we do. And they're even gonna tell us, and they are telling us, hey, if we don't do it, the Chinese will and we're gonna get destroyed. So we have to go down this road of artificial intelligence, of robotics, of bioengineering, and our government is funding this in our universities and private equity is funding to the tune of trillions of dollars internationally, what is called the ushering in of the fourth industrial revolution, where I, David Penn, is inventory. I'm just digital inventory. And everything that we see that's coming is to diminish my my ability to self-govern, to diminish my well-being thereby, and to control me so that that pyramid even gets taller so the people at the top of that pyramid are even farther from where I live. These people want global governance. They don't want the nation state. They don't want local politics. Or if they do, only as a scam to you know, make, people give, make people think they have the illusion of choice. We have a lot of illusion of choice now. And we're going to go through. This thing is coming at us. And this is the only thing I think that matters. This is the news that matters. For those of you who haven't heard this before, I publish a newspaper weekly called The News That Matters, something we'll get into. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and this is The News That Matters. This technocracy is here. It's no longer science fiction. It's not Brave New World. It's now. It's today. In fact, you're looking at me in a medium, which only further underscores the fact that we're there because we're sharing this intimate moment, and uh, it's purely digital. So, you know, you're a superhuman. You're able to get into my head, and we don't even have to actually be in the same place together. I could actually affect your brain cells without us actually talking. Okay, this is is not traditional. This is ultra-modern, ultra-modern. Tanner, could you play this piece, uh, uh, Do You Believe in God, with uh, Harari?
1: So do you believe in God?
2: No. Okay, so you don't believe in God. Um, Uh, You know, the the word is problematic. There are two kinds of gods in the world. Uh, And people tend to mix them. There is one God, the mystery God, about which we know nothing. The chief characteristic of this God is that he is mysterious. And humans can't understand and can't say anything about this God. And like, people ask, I mean, who who, uh, started the Big Bang? Or how did life start? And all the things that science doesn't know, people say, oh, this is God. And this is a mysterious God. The chief characteristic of the mysterious God is that we know nothing about him, or her, or it, and I'm perfectly happy with this God. Then there is a completely opposite kind of God the concrete lawgiver God. And about this God we know far too much. We know exactly what this God thinks about female fashion, <laughs> about human sexuality, about who should you vote on election, everything. And it's like it's like a magic trick that you have a magician that tries to fool you, shows you one card, and then you don't notice it changes the card to some other card. So it's the same with God. When you ask people about God, they say, oh, it's a big mystery, mystery, and we don't know, and science can't explain this and that. Okay. And somehow they then switch gods. And, And because of this, women should put a hat on their head, and two men shouldn't have sex with one another, and you should vote for this party or that party. And this is the dangerous trick. And this is the God in which I don't believe. I think that the, if there is a false, if there is a false responsible for the great mystery of life and the universe and the black holes and the galaxies, I don't think he really cares about female dress code.
0: That's good. Thank you, Tiana. Okay, so that, this is uh, Yoval Noah Harari. Everybody needs to know who this man is. He's an important 21st century thinker. He's a philosopher of science. He's an Israeli. He's very involved in the politics of Israel. And he is a World Economic Forum participant. And he is, you know, he's kind of their, philosoph- he's, he's kind of their philosopher in chief. He's their spokesman. He's selling an idea. Philosophers are salespeople. You know? <laughs> that's what they do. They're selling ideas. And what he's saying is, hey, I'm all, I'm all okay with the God that's just out there, you know, the force, like uh, you know, like Star Wars, the Force. But a God that would tell us what to do." No, he's not into that. And of course, he trivializes this. He says, well, I don't believe in a God that's, you know, telling us what women's fashions are supposed to be. And that's, that's really trivializing and condescending. And if you looked at the audience, oh, they thought he was hilarious. And you could tell from the smiles and the, the applause that his ideas were very well, you know, accepted in that group of uh, technocrats and scientists. Because, you know, they're okay with saying, hey, we don't understand some stuff. They just think they're going to figure it out one day. They believe they are God. They are humanists. They are secular humanists based on Darwin. They're Darwinists or secular humanists. It's really the same thing. And Harari is really, really trying to break or um, destroy any notion that any individual human being might have a relationship with that force, and that force might talk to them, or they might talk to that force. He's basically saying, you know, he has a problem with that. As long as that force doesn't take an opinion, doesn't organize human behavior, as long as human beings don't change their lives in love and respect for that force, he's okay with it. But as soon as human beings would dedicate their lives to that force, He's in opposition to it, because, because, of course, he's dedicated his life to Darwinism and the evolution of humanity through technology, through science and technology. And let's just go a little bit, little bit farther here. Let's, let, let's, um, let's look at this next bit, and let's end it at about 152, please.
2: We are making, so far, very little progress. I mean, most people are hardly aware of what is happening and even many governments, their basic attitude, ah, we have more urgent things to take care of uh, than this. So as I said in my talk, the world is divided into a very, very small minority of people concentrated in a few corporations and governments that have a clearer, or at least a clearer idea of what is really happening and what is at stake. And the vast majority of humanity They just don't have the time, they don't have the volition, they don't have the uh, education or the ability to make sense of what is happening. And this is very, very dangerous. Technology is not deterministic. It's not like, okay, now we have AI and bioengineering, so this is going to happen no matter what we do. No, it opens up an entire menu of possibilities and nothing is determined in advance. It was always very difficult to be in charge of your destiny. The big danger for people is no longer exploitation, it's irrelevance. I mean, in the previously in history, if you were on the wrong side of history, if you didn't understand what was happening, you lost the competition, then you ended up as some kind of serf or manual laborer, being exploited by the people who understand and have the power. Now, if you're left behind, you're facing something far worse, which is to be completely irrelevant. They won't even need you as a serf or as a slave. The pace of progress of what we're talking about, especially the disruptive technology, is much faster than the pace in which minds shift. and it's very, very difficult to really change the minds of people. So about markets and states, they are still the main actors, the main agents in, in history. We don't have a new agent so far. And I don't think that it's going to change uh, anytime soon. The two big processes is states trying to accumulate more power and markets trying to uh, accelerate the, the pace of growth. This is what is pushing these revolutions forward and this will continue. Anybody who tries to get off this train, I mean, unless the whole human race gets off the train at the same time by some common agreement, then you will just ex- good be left behind.
0: Okay, now there, there's a lot to unpack here because Harari is really telling us about the world we're living in. And he says right up front, we don't even know we're there. We're too busy. Even governments are not aware of what's going on. That just a handful of elites that can trace their lineage back to Darwin and the crown in 1880. And these elites are still on the payroll of the crown. Maybe we're going to call it the U.S. government. Corporations, as he was saying, the main actors are still corporations, markets, governments. But uh, these people have, have skills and, and technologies and knowledges that I just don't have it. And probably you don't have it. You might. I hope you're watching me and you do have it. Be a great conversation. And Harari is saying if you don't have this skill, you know, basically, you won't even be a slave. What's he saying? He's saying you will be irrelevant. What is something that's irrelevant? It's probably not a it's probably not alive. You know, there's been many, many slaves that overcame their slavery and are known as great, great thinkers. Because a man is a slave, he still has his human dignity if he holds on to it inside of his. Spiritual life. You can take everything from a man, but his smiles and his cries and his faith. You can't take that from him. He has to give him up. So they want everything. They are out to eliminate humanity as we know it. When I say they, Harari, there's a name. We're just going to name people. And he actually says at the end of that bit, hey, if we don't all get off the train at once, There's no way to stop the trade. Okay, that's a judgment. There's a judgment. There is a big judgment. And we got Musk saying we got to regulate AI. You mean the government? We're going to trust the government to regulate AI. I think we, the people, need to engage with this issue. I am certainly not saying I understand what to do. I'm saying I know, I mean, how to solve this problem. I'm not saying I know how. I have ideas, and I want to talk with you about them. Because if we don't start to get uh, aware of what's happening, this is the only political issue that I think really matters. If we don't get our arms around this, as we the people, if we don't relate it to how it's going to enhance our well-being, hey, he told you right there, I'm going to be irrelevant. Could we listen to this next one about uh, meaningless, worthless people? It even gets a little bit more descriptive.
2: In the Industrial Revolution of the 19th century what humanity basically learned to produce was all kinds of stuff like textiles and shoes and weapons and and vehicles. And this was enough for very few countries that underwent the revolution fast enough to subjugate everybody else. What we're talking about now is like a second Industrial Revolution But the product this time will not be textiles or machines or vehicles or even weapons. The product this time will be humans themselves. We are basically learning to produce bodies and minds. Bodies and minds are going to be, I think, the two main products of the next wave of all these uh, uh, changes. And if there is a gap between those that know to produce bodies and minds and those that do not, then this is far greater than anything we saw before in, in history. And this time, if you're not part of the revolution fast enough, then you probably become, become extinct. Once you know how to produce bodies and brains and minds, so cheap labor in Africa or South Asia or wherever, it, it simply counts for nothing. Again, I think that the biggest question, in, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades, will be what to do with all these useless people. I don't think we have an economic model for that. My best guess, which is just a guess, is that uh, food will not be a problem. Uh, With that kind of technology, you will be able to produce food to feed everybody. The problem is more uh, boredom. And what to do with them, and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless? My best guess at present Is a combination of drugs and computer games.
0: You know, I have to say, I just have to say this. To hear those kind of words spoken with an Israeli accent is very painful. It's very painful because what he's saying is, "Hey, you're going to go extinct." You're really irrelevant if you're not making, you know, bodies and minds. And who's going to be making those? A very small number of people. He's saying the biggest problem facing us is what to do with all these irrelevant people. He's saying, well, we can feed them and we can keep them, you know, we can house them and keep them. No, he's not really saying that. He's really saying we're all going to die. Listen to it very carefully. Play it back. Listen to the words that are... We don't have to make it up. He's telling us exactly what these Darwinists have in mind. They're about to evolve our species and render Homo sapiens extinct. He used the word extinct. What does extinct mean? It means you're dead. It means I'm dead. It means my children are dead. If you had children, it means your children are dead. These people are genocidal psychopaths. They believe that if you don't have some kind of meaning associated with science, scientism, and the technological revolution, you have no value. They do not see that people have an inherent spiritual dignity, whether they're a slave or a king. These people are eugenicists, both positive eugenicists because they're evolving the species, and negative eugenesis, because when you hear that word extinct, extinct, look it up. It has a very clear meaning. Let's go on with Mr. Harari and see what else he has in mind for us about free will and the end of organic life.
2: We are probably one of the last generations of homo sapiens, because in the coming generations, We will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Now, why is data so important? It's important because we've reached the point when we can hack not just computers, we can hack human beings and other organisms. Now what do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. But control of data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. All of life, for four billion years, dinosaurs, amoebas, tomatoes, humans, all of life was subject to the laws of natural selection and to the laws of organic biochemistry. But this is now about to change. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. And at the same time, science may enable life, after being confined for 4 billion years to the limited realm of organic compounds, science may enable life to break out into the inorganic realm. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. Free will, that's over. That's over. Over. Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. Yeah, I mean, everything is being digitalized Everything is being monitored. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste, because a crisis is an opportunity to also do re- good reforms that in normal times, people will never agree to. But in a crisis, you see, we have no chance. So, 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 so let's do it. The vaccine won't help us go the to the The w- vaccine will help <laughs> us, of course. It will make things you know m- more manageable. Surveillance, people could look back in a hundred years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin, which I think is maybe the most important development of the 21st century, is this ability to hack human beings, to go under the skin, collect biometric data, analyze it, and understand people better than they understand themselves. This, I believe, is maybe the most important event of the 21st century. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to reengineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Natural selection is replaced by intelligent design. That's the era good. Of inorganic life is now being
0: Well, I'm terrified. I hope you are too. Cuz these people are absolutely terrified. The summary of all this is our elites, our technocratic elites, with their hidden religion of science, which is ensconced in both our government and in all of our universities, teaching it to all of our children all the way from grade school on up. The net result of this is going to be they are trying to positively evolve the species away from carbon-based organisms. You know, carbon's bad. And at the same time, they're telling us that, you know, Homo sapiens is going to be extinct. Hey, you know, it can't be any clearer than that. I'm just, you know, you're going to say, okay, uh, who is this guy? Look him up. He's very important. He is representing. He is representing the elites. He is their salesman, their spokesman. They're selling me on my own extinction. And, you know, it's supposed to be good for me. I love this kind of thing. You're going to put shit on a cracker and tell me it's caviar. You know, I've got something. You know, I'm trying not to swear. So I'm just not going to swear. But basically, screw off, okay? Wake up, please, and join free people. These, these are insane, mad scientists who have no interest in my well-being. They don't even, they're not even interested in my survival. They think that I'm so flawed, and kind of like Catholics, that I have this original sin, which is called being a man, that the best solution is to clip me out of the equation. That's where these people are coming from. Hey, I'm not taking it personal. They have it in mind for everybody. And you heard what Harari said. When there's a lot of crisis, never let a, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. When there's crises, it allows for the establishment of new order which would never be accepted in normal times. And every time we pick up the newspaper, there's another crisis. Oh, COVID, bank crisis, inflation, uh, you know, Ukraine, South China Sea. Uh, My gosh, I mean, our whole life is a crisis. And while we're looking at all these shiny objects in front of us, and any one of them could kill us, actually, this big man-eater is coming at us, as fast as they can get it here. We're right in the middle of it. If this isn't going to get us to stand up and fight for our lives, then what they believe is we deserve to die. I'm going to say this again. Their belief is that if this is not enough to motivate us to band together into communities of well-being and fight for our rights, get up and stand up, and fight for our human freedom and dignity and well-being. They believe if they can get away with this, it proves they were right. So I have a very simple solution to this. I love Bob Marley, and I'm going to say there are other options besides total destruction. It is not the only solution. It is a solution. Before we get to total destruction, let us please exhaust every other possibility. Let's start with self-governance. Let us recognize that these people that we are electing into office are not representing us. Many times they're Darwinists, and as soon as they get into power, they just go right on down this road because they figure when we get killed, they'll be living in a paradise where they're going to have everything they want because they don't give a damn about the people. They're interested in power and they believe power will help them survive. Let's watch this next bit on science and politics and the value of science.
2: The most important political problems of the 21st century are also scientific problems. Hmm. And if you don't bridge the gap between science and politics, between the scientific arena and and, and, and the public arena, the public debates, then you can't really understand what's happening in the world. I mean, if people didn't tell me that there is such a thing in the world as having children, I would never have thought about it myself. (laughs) I think the chief value of science is power. Science is mainly about gaining power, gaining power over the world. They use truth to some extent on the way to achieving power or to achieving uh, order. Science is not really—at th- least this is my view as a historian. Science is not really about truth; it's about power. The real aim of science as a project, as an establishment, is not truth; it's power. <laughs> humans are now hackable animals. You know the, the whole idea that humans have—you know this—they they have much. this.
0: Well, you know sometimes we make things up and we um, create conspiracies in our own minds. We tell ourselves stories not supported in facts. But if we look around and do a little research, we're going to find out these people are telling us exactly what they have in mind for us. They're not kidding around at all, and we're sitting around watching video games and watching football and going to the mall and eating uh, food that's not good for us. Hey, you know what? We got to wake up. That's what this podcast is about. The Professor Penn podcast. I'm just trying to put my shoulder to the main mast. And there are thousands of people like me doing this now. We are waking up. We the people are waking up. Now, I would like to have an engagement in the millions. But right now, if you're listening to me, you are what's important to me. Spread this out. These clips of the number one A philosopher involved with the World Economic Forum. These clips are, these are tales. This man is telling us. And he's not just an isolated person. He represents the technocracy. These people love, you know, they love to tell us what they're doing. They're telling us what they're doing. If we don't get up and stand up for our rights and self-govern right now, they're going to kill us. I'm not making it up. They're using words like extinct. They're using words like, if you're not part of this ability to to make, you know, brains and bodies, you're irrelevant. They're telling us this. We already have a huge underclass of people in this country that can't get meaningful work. Our life expectancy is on the decline. Our birth rates are on the decline. Diseases exploding all over the world disease, human suffering. And then we're going to go to these people to have our suffering alleviated, the very people that want. And we send our children to the institutions where they're brainwashed with this sickening ideology that aggrandizes man's intellect such that man can solve the problem of human suffering to the exclusion of all spiritual input. While they tell us they want us to be extinct, that human homo sapiens will evolve to a non-carbon-based life form. This is purely insanity. These people are sociopaths. They're psychopaths. They want to kill us. They hate themselves, and they're going to take it out on us. They hate themselves. They tell you they hate humanity. They say human beings are flawed, and their, their path is a technocratic, technological solution to human suffering. Now, not everything they're doing is wrong. That's why I say if we can make this argument not about faith versus versus faithlessness, but that there's two competing religions. And these two competing religions are dealing with the same issue. How do we alleviate human suffering? One pathway is the pathway of well-being, of peace, of limited ambition, of the natural way of faith. The other path is the way to deal with human suffering is eliminate Homo sapiens. It came right out of his mouth. I'm not making it up. Listen to it again. He's advocating the positive eugenesis path of evolving Homo sapiens such that we're no longer Homo sapiens. If you're down with that, and you think that's a good way to go, we need to talk about it. I'll talk to anybody about any subject anywhere at any time because the worst thing that can happen is I'm going to learn from you. But let us come together. Let us recognize that this path of the technocracy is about eliminating homo sapiens. I'm a homo sapien. I bet you're a homo sapien. This is even a little bit more fundamental than, you know, I'm a Catholic and I'm not a Catholic, for example. This is humanity they're talking about. Every race, color, creed, kind. They want to evolve us into extinction. Please join free people. Please spread this podcast out. Let all your friends and relatives see what these people have in mind for us. It's their words. It's not my words. It's on YouTube. You can go find it. It's everywhere because they're letting us know exactly what they're up to. And for me, for me, as a lover of life and a student of life, I would like to live forever because I love life, but I accept my death because it's a limit on my own ambition. I'm okay with that. I don't seek to be a God. I seek to be a good man. And on that note, I hope I'm inspiring you. It's inspiring for me to talk to you. It inspires me to a higher level of self-organization. I want to thank you for joining me today. I hope you come back. We're getting into it now. We've had a lot of get ready, but we're into it now. We're into the politics of tomorrow today. How are we going to organize to confront such an anti-human philosophy. How will we organize ourselves to confront and defeat this anti-homo sapiens philosophy? That's the question I'm asking myself. I'm asking it of you, and I look forward to joining you soon again as we try to find an answer. Thank you very much. Have a great day.